You are now tuned in to episode 24 of the Internet Beer Users Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Pro, joined today by my co-host, none other than Jay Torres. Jay, what's going on, man? Uh, I'm good, Nick. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Good Just, to hear. Uh, yeah, yeah, I already started drinking, so I'm jealous. I'm feeling well. You know, I had to I had to do a little warm up. Uh, had a pit stop after work uh, over to the Crafty Fox, which I believe I've mentioned on the show, and I sampled Alvarado Street's uh, most recent release, a double IPA by the name of Cool Runoffs. And if you've seen the can on Instagram, or if you've had it yourself, then you will notice the nifty kind of cool runnings themed yeah. um, little, little, what is that? It's, uh, I was going to say Bob's, is it Bob's? Yeah. Is yeah, it Bob's Bob's yeah. Bobsled. Bobsled. And obviously the, the, the classic movie uh, for the Jamaican bobsled team, but instead of the Jamaican bobsledders, it's hops. So <laughs> nice. I thought that that was a, yeah, I thought that that was a super uh, clever name and can design and actually an awesome double IPA. I actually saw All Things Beer 510, I've mentioned them before on the show, review it and I got super amped to try it. And I said, man, I got, I got to, you know, I got to get a can. And I got a few cans actually the other day, uh, strictly for trade purposes. And I ended up having to kind of get rid of all four. So I, I, I went to Crafty Fox hoping that I could score one last can. And they actually sold out about five minutes before I got there. Oh, so man. I was a little, yeah. But I mean, I kind of looked at it as, well, I was only going to get one can anyway, just to try it. And luckily they had it on, on tap. So I ended up trying it and uh, warmed up and, and kind of just started to get ready for uh, for today's show beer. But uh, awesome. before before we get too far into the show, how did your weekend go, Jay? Um, weekend went well. Uh, it was pretty awesome. I spent the weekend uh, setting up a YouTube channel. Oh. And it's yeah, not for myself, but I actually set it up for my daughter. She's uh, oh. She wants to be a YouTuber. She wants to be famous. And uh, <laughs> she, she just got an, an aquarium uh, from her from her grandpa last time they were Aww. up here. So she's got a 10-gallon tank, and she just put a brand-new angelfish in there. And uh, wow. she now has two tanks. Uh, she had goldfish in there now, but we moved, mm-hmm. we moved them to a separate tank. And uh, we have an angelfish and a couple guppies, and she wanted to set up a YouTube channel. So I, I helped her set it up. We did it all on her iPad. I, I, got, I took video off our um, Canon 70D, and then we transferred it to her iPad and I just said, you know, here's, here's your files. I, I opened up iMovie and then mm-hmm. I let her run with it. And, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's got like, she's up to like 50 something views now, six subscribers. Really? She's super excited. So wow. Kind of a well, fun little, uh, you know, hobby that we have between us two. And, um, yeah, if well, you're on list- YouTube, you want to learn how yeah. to. There you go. I was, I was just going to say, let the listeners know. Yeah. Got to, you got to plug it, man. Come I'm, on. I'm, you know? I'm plugging it. Uh, <laughs> if you just search on YouTube for Malia's ideas, uh, go ahead and uh, subscribe to her channel. Uh, the, she has two videos up right now. One on how to set up a fish tank, which she knows a lot about. I didn't know. I don't know anything about setting up a fish tank. <laughs> and um, the second one is uh, she added her angelfish. So check out Malia's ideas on YouTube. So that was pretty much my whole weekend uh, setting up her YouTube channel. So what about you? You you went uh, you went out of town this weekend. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Took a little trip up north. I've mentioned on previous shows that um, my wife's family and also I have some family up north in the Sacramento area. And we've gone kind of northeast of Sacramento over to the Pollock Pines area 
for those of you familiar with Northern California, and did some some camping, and just really had a great time. Uh, it was super hot. It was oh, just yeah. it was high nineties. Oh man, it was just like. <laughs> So it was uh, perfect beer drinking weather, of course, and of course the perfect occasion for that. What would camping be uh, without some without some cold beer, of course? So anytime um, I'm doing any kind of day drinking, I, I try to be as strategic as possible. And I've talked about it on the show multiple times. And I, in general, I like just low ABV for any kind of sessioning with beers, as right. I'm sure most people do. And I knew that it would just, you know, again, just be would be drinking some beers throughout the day and probably into the evening, night, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I actually got a pretty nice little supply. So I, I, I got a four pack of Modern Times, and I can't pronounce this. I've always, it's been one of those where it's like, I wonder how it's pronounced. It's it's spelled O N E I D A Oneida Oneida um, Oneida yeah Oneida that's probably it yes it's a um, it's a seasonal modern times pale ale it's I believe it's kind of you know with uh, modern times they, they do a little bit of a description on the front so I believe it's they yeah. call it their hoppy sessionable pale ale so it's kind of just like perfect so I got a <laughs> I got a four pack, I got a four pack of those and track seven who I've talked about on the show just really continue to impress because what's interesting about them is that they're doing and it's funny they're kind of like modern times in that they do have um uh, kind of pretty wide local distribution at least in, in northern California um, especially in northern northern California in the Sacramento area and they have kind of a core lineup of beers that they've had on the shelves for the past I'd say probably two three years or so and um, I think one of it's like an IPA called like panic IPA and the one that I picked up at this uh, liquor store is a pale ale by the name of hoppy palm and it was a it was a six pack of um, of twelve ounce cans, right? I was gonna say short cans because you know it's like it's <laughs> all about the talk, right? Yeah, yeah normal, right? Normal, yeah, normal. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so I got a, I got a six pack of those, and then I got a four pack of um, an IPA that I hadn't tried before from a brewery that I I'd be, I have been reading a lot of great things about online, and that's a brewery also in the area in Sacramento by the name of New Glory. And I picked up a yeah yeah I picked up a four pack of their Wild West IPA, and let me just say across Oneida I've had from Modern Times a couple other times mm-hmm. it's very solid it's 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 very good um, I'd probably give it like a three five three seven five it was especially good just considering the weather and just right. something kind of light but also yeah. a little bit assertive. Track Seven though I mean they are. They just continue to impress, and and this is just kind of an easy to find, you know, yeah. find at your local liquor store type of pale ale. Awesome, just nice. very balanced, uh, very crisp. Uh, you got the citrus uh, in there as well, not too too assertive, just light, very sessionable, very drinkable. So the hoppy palm pale ale, awesome. But the winner of the weekend for me was the New Glory Wild West IPA. It was. One of I believe what I give it on untapped. I gave it a four seven five on untapped. Whoa. And rating yeah, rating for style for a West Coast IPA. One of the best West Coast IPAs I've had in the past couple of years. By far. Wow. And it reminded me of a really good West Coast IPA from like um kind of like an Alvarado Street almost in terms of not in terms of flavor per se but in terms of quality it, it kind of reminded me of the impression that I got from the Alvarado Street Mai Tai IPA for example 
Um, and I, know, I don't know if I've spoken about that or if you've tried that one specifically, Jay, but yeah. it's just, it's, it's not a, it's, you know, it's not a hazy East coast, you know, New England juice bomb or anything. It's just a good old West coast IPA, but unique. And it was kind of like a berry, kind of like a, 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 a fruit salad, berry kind of just very, just awesome, uh, fruitiness that came in, not too bitter, uh, kind of like a, a intermediate, um, IBU from what I could observe. Granted, I'd been drinking these pale ales all day, so my, you know I was <laughs> yeah. expecting my palate to be a little bit off. But even after a few of these pale ales that I mentioned, I, I took a sip and I was just blown away. So um, yeah, New Glory. I'm very much looking forward to trying a lot more of their beers and uh, another just um, you know Northern California brewery to watch up, up here in this area. So yeah, I've never heard of them before, but uh, four seven five. That's that's pretty damn high. So <laughs> I was Jay. Let me tell you, I was I was just as just as surprised as as you are listening to me say it right now. So yeah. it was um, it was very impressive. So cool. yeah, keep an eye on keep an eye on New Glory. All right, all right. Well, I have something else to keep an eye on, and I thought I would mention it in terms of a bit of follow up for uh, listeners of the show and something we've talked about on previous episodes. Jay, of course, is our love for old school games and specifically the Super Nintendo and. It was just announced today, the SNES Classic Edition. So in the same vein as the Nintendo Classic Edition, which was announced, was it late last year? It was was late last year. Yeah, it was last year. Yeah, Yeah. and famously, of course, for those of you that are aware of it and those of you who may not be, super limited production. I mean, they sold out instantly. You could never find one. The The only way you could really find one or buy one was really on the secondhand market, eBay, um, there'd be Amazon resellers selling them for twice the price. I mean, it was it was absolutely ridiculous. So um, a lot of excitement today, obviously, in, in, in the gaming community. Jay and I, uh, the Super Nintendo Classic Edition announced. Same concept as the, as the NES in that it's a little miniature version of the Super Nintendo, kind of like the one that Jay posted on our Instagram yeah. that he had um, <laughs> in his, uh, in his uh, you know, in his basement or whatever. And uh, it's just a mini, mini version of that. Uh, it comes with two controllers and it has uh, 21 games preloaded and, and essentially just kind of, I guess, Nintendo's idea or what they view as a, as kind of the definitive collection of SNES games. Uh, and just to name a few, Contra 3, The Alien Wars, Donkey Kong Country, uh, F-Zero, uh, let's see, Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, Mega Man X, Star Fox, Star Fox 2, which apparently was never released. I kind of vaguely remember. Do you remember something like that, Jay? I, I, I vaguely, do. like it was in production and never came out, actually? Yeah, I totally forgot about it until this was announced, and I was like, holy crap, Star Fox 2, I totally forgot. It like brought yeah. back crazy memories, yeah. Definitely. That Super Castlevania 4, which is an awesome game. I have a lot of memories with that one. Mario Kart, of course. Mario World, Super Punch-Out, one of my all-time favorites. And the best game, hands down, for Super Nintendo. I mean, there's no debate on this, Jay, right? Right. Super, excuse me, Street Fighter 2 Turbo. I almost said Super Street Fighter 2, which did come out as well, which would have been a mistake. So, no, no, no. (laughs) Street Fighter 2 Turbo, um, hyper fighting, yeah. Hyper fighting, baby. Yeah, definitely. So, what would it be? What would this entire release be if that game wasn't on there? So, needless to say, Jay and I are absolutely hyped and um, ready to ready to plunk down some some uh, some hard cash for this and score about ten of them and resell them and Flip it on become millionaires, yeah. right? Ready to do that, Jay? Yeah, I saw the news <laughs> this morning and I was like, 
I need that. I want that now. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, the NES Classic came out last year. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool to have. Um, but you know, yeah. SNES was the defining console for me growing up. And this, for me, this is a no-brainer. Eighty dollars uh, launches on September 29th. Uh, man, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I honestly didn't look at the, at the story. I didn't mm-hmm. look at the list of the games, but now that I see yeah. the, the list of games, like it's no brainer. Oh, yeah. I want one. I'm gonna try to get one no matter what. Oh yeah, I'm gonna definitely. I mean, and I almost want to say it's weird because when I when the when the Nintendo one came out, I kind of said to myself, "Oh, I'm sure they're gonna do the same thing for the Super Nintendo." And I was initially in my mind, I was like, "Oh, I'm more I'm more excited for the Nintendo because it's been longer since I played those games." But in looking at the Super Nintendo one. Uh, and like you said, looking at the list of games, it's kind of like, okay, what would have more replay value as a oh, yeah. specialized console? And yeah. and and I think the answer is very clear here with yeah. this, right, Jay? It's like this this list of games versus the list of games for Nintendo. It's just like this is it. Like you yeah. give me the choice, and you say, okay, pick one. You can only have one. It's gonna oh, be the yeah. Super Nintendo. I oh, mean, yeah. just I mean, you know. <laughs> I, ha- I have a working regular Super Nintendo, and I still want yeah. this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah, for I the mean, games. I mean, Star Fox 2, I mean, yeah. it was in development, and for whatever reason, they stopped. Probably they didn't have money, or I think the SNES yeah. was on its uh, it, decline. That's what it was. I think so, yeah. I think I read that in Game Pro. So. <laughs> EGM. <laughs> EGM. EGM or Game, one of the two. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah so, um, yeah, no, super, super amped about that, and I'm sure we will be updating you listeners out there on us camping out and, you know, grabbing that tent and those uh, camping yeah, seats that I used this past weekend and heading over to Best Buy and hoping for the best. So. I know. <laughs> anyway, about um, speaking a little bit more about upcoming releases, we had one that just came out today that is, I guess, in a way, a pre-release or a precursor to an upcoming huge release that Jay and I are really looking forward to, and that is the iOS 11 public beta, and that did come out today. Jay sent me over a link. And what did you, how did you ask me, Jay? You said, are you going to, are you going to dive in going for, yeah, there you go. You're going to dive in. And I go, "Uh." and what I told Jay was, is, oh man, I'm very tempted. Uh, And those of you who listened to, what was it now? Three, two shows ago, I believe it was two shows ago, right? Where we were at WWDC, um, very, very highly anticipated iOS release, especially for the iPad specific stuff on my end. And it's just going to absolutely change the game in terms of the iPad, um, iOS 11. I mean, this is something that folks have been waiting for, for, for years now and is really going to transform the iPad into a true, um, I don't know, I guess unlock its true potential is, is really the way of thinking about it. Um, iPhone, Jay, you, you mentioned earlier in us talking about this iPhone wise, eh, it's not, quite as impactful or, or, or quite as extensive the changes as the iPad changes. So I think that that's also going to stop me from from diving in quite at the moment right now. Okay. But let me tell you, the the iPad stuff, I am super, super tempted. Uh, yeah, that's why I asked you, are you going <laughs> to dive in? Um, yeah, yeah, so the public beta came out. Uh, they, they usually release uh, betas for the, for developers to get their apps ready. And something that they've done in recent years is a release a public beta. So regular people like you and me, Nick, could uh, install this on our phones. And, you know, if, you know, the, the purpose of these betas is to give feedback to Apple, like, hey, this is messed up. Um, 
you know, might want to look yeah. out for this. This isn't working right. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I've I've done it maybe once or twice. Uh, the first time I did mm-hmm. it was when iOS 7 came out with that huge redesign. It's like I wanted that new yeah. look on my phone <laughs> right away. So that was the first time I did a, I installed the public beta. But mm-hmm. um, I think I'm going to hold off for now. Uh, my phone is an essential uh, piece of technology that I need to do my work with, so I'm gonna hold off. I, you yeah. know, I might wait until like maybe like August. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll dive in, but mm. I'm just gonna wait and see. Uh, none of no, nothing on the iPhone uh, for iOS 11 is intriguing enough for me to want to install it. So yeah, I'm just gonna exactly. hang out and wait. Yeah, that's a good call, Jay. I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, any kind of beta, you are running the risk of yeah. losing data. You know, yeah. first thing they tell you is install at your own risk, backup. Know, back up. Yep. At, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, you know, go the extra mile in terms of, of protecting your data. It's definitely for the adventurous folks out there or even folks that have a backup device that yeah, they could yeah. afford to do it on. Yeah. Right. Which, which, you know, me having my two iPads, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of tempting. I, I, I don't know. Who knows? I might have a few just do beers it. over the weekend and just, just you know, it. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of diving in, Jay, it is the time has arrived for us to dive into today's show beer. And we go ahead, Jay. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this beer. Um, I don't want to, I'll let you introduce it, but I've been looking forward to this particular uh, beer from this brewery. So why don't you uh, tell us what uh, today's beer is? Absolutely, Jay. It is none other than Treehouse Haze Double IPA. And this is going to be our third Treehouse beer. On the show, I, I do believe right. yep. we have had the and we, you know, we did our, our little contest for it on Instagram, which was very fun for our first Treehouse beer, which is the Bright with Nelson, mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of ironically their their take on a West Coast IPA, but um, you know, it was just kind of kind of funny. But then we did Curiosity Thirty Four, which we we did enjoy uh, overall, I would say. And today's show beer, and it's funny we've been talking about Julius uh, just on and off. I've mentioned it as you know, one of my favorite beers, uh, probably of all time, currently my favorite single IPA. And just kind of the way the stars aligned, I, I was able to score a couple cans for my buddy Vinny over there on the East Coast. Thank you very much, Vinny. And we just said, hey, we got this fairly fresh haze. Let's take a look at the date here before we crack them. 6-14-2017. And a little quote here, I always love Treehouse's <laughs> little witty little quotes. It says, "Keep ho- keep cold, stay hazy." So uh, I thought that was uh, that was pretty funny, and we just said, "Hey, we have this. We have some." And today, what's today? Jay, today is the twenty sixth. So pretty pretty fresh. A little bit less than two weeks, and I've had a, a few different cans of haze in the past, but they have been three, four, sometimes five weeks out. Wow. Wow. Still still amazing, by the way. And it's going to be very interesting to try some, the, probably the freshest haze that I've, that I've ever had, really. And just super looking forward to it, like you said, Jay. And without further ado, let's, let's, start, to, let's start that process of yeah. getting these in our glasses, right? Yeah. That's funny that you, guy, you got a guy on the East Coast. His name is Vinny. <laughs> Vinny. He's a cool, super cool guy. Um, heads out to Treehouse every so often, grabs cans. Uh, we trade back and forth, and yeah, it's it's man, he is a lifesaver. Let me tell you. Oh man, look at that! That is super hazy. True to the name, man. That's that's awesome. True to the true to the name, definitely. And have to have to pour in the plop, proper glassware 
I think I used it for the C34. I don't remember exactly when, how long it's been since I've since I've gotten this Teku. But um, I, I think I did mention on the show, shout out to my friend Matt. Uh, he went out actually to Treehouse as well. Now it's been, I think, I think it's been a month and a half or two months since he's gone and scored me this beautiful Teku with the black Treehouse logo on it. And, and I absolutely love it. Got to use that proper glassware. Nice. Hashtag. And... <laughs> On that pour, Jay, like you said, oh man. Yeah, it's got a nice head on it. It's, it's frothy. Super frothy. Uh, aroma, you get it just blasting yeah. through. Orange. Like a, like a peach, banana, orange smoothie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's that time, Jay. We got we got to dive in here. All Cheers. Right. Cheers, man. Mm. Mm. Dude, what in the world? 8.2%. I don't taste it at all. No burn whatsoever. <coughs> Sorry, bro. I got I think there's that I think there's that double shot before the show. I was like still in my throat. <laughs> but it did not deter from the flavor, like you said, Jay. Man, super smooth, uh super creamy mouthfeel. Yeah, man. It's, it's that's intense, man. It's super smooth. Uh, man, I, this is it's one of those beers where, like, similar to Juice Gymnastics, I'm kind of like, I'm speechless. I'm, I'm, I can't process it. Well, while you're processing, let me go ahead and read from the can. And what I really love about Treehouse on its kind of its flagship beers is they all have a really cool can little write-up on each, you know, whether it's the Julius, the Green... The Alter Ego, and of course, today's show beer, which is Haze. It's just a super, just well-written kind of, it really personifies the brewery. And it's interesting, to me at least, it, kind of my observation is that since I've tried, I tried my first, you know, Treehouse beer uh, over at Tasty Beverage's house probably about two years ago now, where we split a couple of these cans and was absolutely blown away back then, just like I am now, Um I just remember reading the can, and it just kind of, I don't want to say it gave me a warm and fuzzy feeling, but it just kind of was like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's like kind of what the impression, how do I word this? It's like, that's who they are, and that's the, that kind of adds to that, to that good feeling that I get from the flavor and enjoying the can. So anyway... We are excited that you are holding Treehouse Brewing Company's hop-saturated double IPA Haze. Haze is a soft and dangerously drinkable beer with flavors and aromas of orange juice, fresh peach, and papaya offset by a gentle bitterness. It is intensely flavorful, yet well-balanced. Yet well-balanced. Haze is the result of our uncompromising dedication to fresh, progressive, and delightful beer. We hope that you enjoy it with laughter, good cheer, and in the company of those you love. So, just perfectly said. And yeah, I mean, really, it gives, yeah, it gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling. Enjoy it really it, does. It, you know, yeah. with laughter, yeah. good cheer, and the company that you love. Yeah, um, and it, yeah, man. This, I, I'm not gonna give. I mean, I, I, we rate at the end of the show, but I, I think most everybody would kind of figure out what I'm gonna rate this. <laughs> it's, it's that, wow. This is damn good. Thanks to you and your homie Vinny. Absolutely, and it, yeah, no, and it's it's one of those things that it's. How do I put it? So Julius, and again, I mentioned it on the show, and I kind of said it last show, I believe, 
where I said I'm, I, I prefer single IPAs, but I'm starting to come around on double IPAs. And to be quite honest with you, Haze was a huge factor in that in terms of kind of my, as of late, my kind of my preference more for, for double IPAs, especially in the New England kind of realm. Yeah. And Hayes is just it's 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 to me the more and more of these this type of style that I taste it's kind of the quintessential New England style double IPA to me it just hits all those key elements perfectly um, the the appearance that golden hazy color uh, murky great head uh, the uh, the aroma just that those those tropical fruits just bursting through the mouthfeel creamy. Um, no, you know, super bitter bite, just super no. soft mouthfeel, and yeah, and man. again that that, again that peach peach banana orange tropical smoothie, just ah, they just they just nail it with this, and it's man, it's it's easily one of the best treehouse beers that I've had, and one of the best double IPAs that I've ever had. So I, I would concur, man. Um, but definitely, yeah, so- I think, like you said, I think. We should we should stop short there because we're gonna give <laughs> we don't a little bit give too much away. The, yeah, we don't give away the rating. Uh, all right, so uh, while we enjoy this beer, we'll move on to our next topic, and it's our te- tech topic for tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's June now, and we're coming up on I think it might have passed already, but the ten year anniversary of the release of the first iPhone. And this week, a number of different this past week. A number of different articles and events happened that kind of take advantage or commemorate the the 10 year anniversary of the original iPhone. And Mm -hmm. the first kind of link that I shared with Nick and the first uh, topic that I want to cover regarding this is a book by the name. uh, It's called The One Device, The Secret History of the iPhone. And it's written by Brian Merchant. And The Verge had a pretty lengthy excerpt from the book uh it should be out by now uh in amazon or wherever you wherever you buy books yes and it's out it is out okay yeah and it's a you know the the excerpt is is super interesting he's got he he was able to interview a number of different engineers who worked on the original iphone uh people including tony fidel scott forstall and some other names that aren't as well known, but um, I've seen them pop up here and there. Uh, Andy Gringon is another name that that sticks out. Um, from the excerpt, there's, a, there's some good stories in there and quotes. Uh, a lot of stories that we've heard before, like how the iPhone started off as a tablet and Steve Jobs like, hey, we can make this into a phone. Um, one of the uh, quotes that stood out to me, which kind of, it puts into perspective the the gravity or the weight that this project was for some of the engineers, um, mm-hmm. this Andy Gring- Gringon guy, he he was quoted as saying, the iPhone is the reason I'm divorced. And <laughs> I, I remember I was reading that in, in my oh, instant paper man. and I just like highlighted it. I was like, that is crazy. And it goes <laughs> on to say that, um, you know, a number of, you know, marriages did end in divorce because of the iPhone, just because if you think about it, uh, they started the project maybe like in 2005-ish or, you know, um, they started seriously thinking about it around then. So it was like a good, you know, two, two and a half years before they put it out. And mm-hmm. to come up with a product as complete as the first iPhone in two years, I mean, I can't even imagine the amount of work that would go into something like that. Yeah. 
And uh-huh. and it just just kind of the history that it talks about prior to the iPhone in terms of the lead up in the Verge article is just I mean a lot of it or some of it at least we've heard uh, not quite at the mm-hmm. detail that the author was able to accomplish even in this excerpt. By the way, I definitely want to read the rest of the book. Um, I, I got to ch- go check it out on Amazon, load it up on the Kindle, and and get going because I was absolutely captivated by just this just this ep- excerpt um, on The Verge. It was just very well written, a lot of great sources. And again, just that lead up that I found super interesting in that the, well, a couple things that, that really stuck out to me. The first was that the kind of the, the description of it being this huge, starting out this as this huge tablet project. But when I say huge, I mean huge. And Literally. I, right, and, and I, don't, I don't remember if it was actually in this article, but it is, and we'll have it in the show notes, there's a super cool video from the Wall Street Journal yes. um, interviewing Tony Fidel, who Jay mentioned that is that is a source in the article and in the book, um, Scott Forstall, uh, that uh, Jay will get into in just a bit, and another gentleman, I want to say it was, I forget who the other third person on the Wall Street Journal link it was. was. Uh, Greg, Greg Christie, I believe. Yes, yes, Greg Christie. And talking about the fact that the 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 project i guess specifically multi touch started out as a big old ping pong table right. size surface right. and just thinking of and my brain immediately went to man that'd be a big ipad right and mm-hmm. <laughs> and it and and that's kind of where it started manipulating it with your hands and and all, and all those things and then kind of going down to a tablet and then ultimately being the phone, of course, is just super interesting in terms of where it started and the direction that it went. And also, uh, and I read, I'd read about this previously or prior to this, and I forget where, but just hearing about kind of that, the two different directions that it was, that it was going in, right? Which it started, this whole phone thing started and there was kind of two camps or two phones being developed. And one being, of course, the iPod phone, which was really just kind of bolting on a phone interface or infrastructure onto onto an iPod and Mm -hmm. using the click wheel to navigate around. And then, of course, the iPhone as we know it now with the multi-touch and and all those things and those kind of two kind of competing views of how the iPhone should be kind of being developed concurrently and ultimately of course the the iPhone interfa- interface winning out and then just a little tidbit such as the fact that the phone radio that was originally used in the iPod phone ended up being the actual phone radio used in the iPhone in the final iPhone you know just little little tidbits like that 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 yeah. nerds like Jay and I um, would appreciate tremendously. So yeah, it's just super, super interesting. Jay, Con- continue, please. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of stories have surfaced in some form or another. As as you mentioned, like the tablet project was that was the original project that they were working on. But then they were like trying to, you know, Steve Jobs was like, we can probably make this into a phone, and and they put the tablet project on hold while they went, you know, hundred percent onto the phone, which would eventually become the iPhone. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. The excerpt is is it's it's a long article, but in, in you know in the grand scheme of a, of a being a book, it's it's pretty short. Um, I encourage you to read it. It's super interesting. I mean, it, it's enough to maybe want me to get to buy the book. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah, yeah and you, as you mentioned, it's available now. So um, I haven't had a chance to buy it or read it, and um, you know maybe I'll look into that buying that book. 
Yeah, no, and, and it just again that that background, that history for the ten year anniversary, just just super interesting to read. But I'd say something that was even more interesting when you sent me the link was, of course, a local live event, Jay, that you have the fortune of attending. So, yeah, like okay, this is crazy because. I had no idea that this was being planned and I don't know where I think it was. I I probably saw it on my Twitter stream and it was a link to an event at the computer history museum. And that's here in our backyards in Mountain View. And I've actually been there once before. It's actually, it's a a pretty damn cool museum. If you're a nerd or Mm -hmm. interested in technology at all, it's got the history of computing. They got like, you know, an original, like next computer if they got an original iphone on display it just talks about like the history of of computers and being in silicon valley it goes back until like the uh you know the beginnings of of intel and then you know uh, apple and all the uh, silicon valley companies that kind of started in the 60s 70s and and you know look at them now today and they had an i, f- I forgot where i saw it but someone posted a link um it was an event called putting your finger on it creating the iphone and it was going to be uh, a panel type of discussion where they brought on four um previous apple engineers employees who worked on the original iphone and the first three engineers uh they were uh hugo i'm I'm gonna probably butcher this hugo (laughs) Finis, uh neaton ganatra and scott hers and they were they all worked on the original iPhone, and they had the second half of the panel, the second part of the event would be an interview with Scott Forstall. So this is the guy who headed up the iPhone software development from the original iPhone up until he famously got fired in 2012. So um, I saw this come through, and I was like, it, it was a free event. It's in my backyard. And I was like, I have to sign up. I have to go to this and, thing. Um, and, and Jay, let, can we just, let's talk briefly about just kind of the significance of Scott yeah, Forstall. Sure. I mean, again, those of you out there, Apple nerds or even aware of, you know, technology stuff, you understand the significance of this and why it's such a big deal. But for those of you who are not too, too familiar, Jay, of course, he was an app, Apple executive. Right. Really one of Steve Jobs's right right-hand men. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely instrumental in the creation of the iPhone. Just Apple on the whole. He had been recruited by Jobs way back in the next days. Yep. Uh, prior to, to to Jobs coming back to Apple, and Jay, kind of, once you fill everyone in or, or refresh everyone's memory on kind of the circumstances of him him leaving or I guess being fired from yeah. Apple. Yeah. Yeah. So in in 2012. Uh, was that iOS five or iOS six? I don't remember. It was it was five. It was five. Okay. Yeah. So iOS five, uh, they did you know WWDC, uh, you know, occurred and they announced iOS five, and one of the big headlining features was Apple Maps. So I forget the the exact background, but I think I think um, the 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 agreement between Apple and Google, uh, Apple using Google's map information was up, mm-hmm. and Apple likes to they like to control as much as they can so like they make their own chips they make their own you know obviously they make their own software that run you know that runs on these devices that they make and they wanted to you know come up with their own map solution they didn't want to give google all this information about their customers so you know like let's let's do our own solution let's make our own maps app Mm -hmm. and 
that was one of the headlining features of, of iOS 5. And, you know, we all know how that turned out. And, you know, myself, I think Apple Maps still isn't anywhere near close to the quality of, of Google Maps. So so when, when Apple Maps came out, it was a complete debacle. Um, you know, the <laughs> maps were terrible. Directions were horrible. Yeah, that, I think I think they had you kind of going into like bodies of water. Yeah. Remember that? It was just, <laughs> it would leave, you know, the directions were, they would they weren't the fastest. And, <laughs> you know, you would type in something, it would like say, oh, did you mean, you know, this city and this state? And you're like, it's nowhere near to where yeah. you were trying to <laughs> navigate to. And yeah. uh, it, it was so bad that Tim Cook, he did one of those, you know, public apologies that got posted to the Apple, uh, you know, PR site. And the story behind that, b- behind that was, um, yeah, who knows how much of this is true, but the story was, you know, Scott Forstall refused to write that letter and he refused yep. to take responsibility and sign that letter. And that that was the main reason and 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 there was like rumors or stories that he kind of clashed with the other executives and all that put together kind of like led to his you know famous like firing or mm-hmm. i remember that that day it was just like you know executive shakeup that you know scott forsaw leaving the company and these people are taking his responsibilities and it was it was crazy and he, yeah they didn't say fired he was fired but yeah he was fired mhm yeah, and I mean it was it was it was shocking. It was I mean there's no other way of putting it in terms of, you know, Apple fans just again people familiar with familiar with technology at the time Forstall was looked at actually as a candidate to right. ultimately be the CEO, you know, yeah. after after Tim Cook and kind of the closest to Steve Jobs in terms of overall, you know, kind of style and his management kind style, his, exactly. His, his persona, yeah, 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 and 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 you know, it, what was it? 2012. 2012. Yeah. So it's been it's been five years been five and years. not not a peep. I think la- I think two years ago or so, it came out that he was doing um, some kind of Broadway yeah. thing, yeah. and that was it. And no one has heard him speak, especially about anything Apple related. So when you sent me that link, Jay, I was just like, what? I mean, He's- I was just. I, I couldn't I couldn't believe it and 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 again like you said in our own backyard live um just and, and the tickets were free it was they? free as a free event. I mean that's yeah. that's crazy so I didn't uh, act as quickly as I should have because it I, it was early in the morning for me it was I was still groggy uh, I wasn't hungover <laughs> I promise it was a work day so but I didn't quite get you know I didn't put two and two together that you could you know you get the tickets and go and attend but Jay of course you did you were on top of it. And you actually attended. So why don't yeah. you let us know how that went and how that experience was? Yeah. So um, I got there the day of around 6 p.m. So it was it was like registration opens at 6, event starts at 7. Mm-hmm. And I knew, I had no idea what, you know, how big or how many people this were, were going to go. Um, but I got there around 6 and I knew it was going to be a big deal when like I, I exited and I was going into the parking lot and the cars were backed up, like going into the parking lot. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> good thing I got there, you know, right when I did. And, you know, I hung out for maybe around like 30, 40 minutes. Um, so the museum's actually pretty cool. They have like a little cafe and I actually, you know, I had a beer before I went in. Yes. Um, uh, so around like 20 minutes, 15 minutes before the event, uh, they started letting people in. And 
Uh, it was upstairs of the museum. They have a little auditorium up there. It fits around 200 people. And um, I was, I got a decent seat, like, you know, halfway from the front uh, and the back. It was a good size auditorium. I, you know, it was, I wasn't too far away. I was perfectly happy with my seats. And the first panel uh, that started off uh, was with the three formal, former Apple engineers. Obviously, Forstall was the main event, but this portion was entertaining. I was surprised. Like, I was, you know, I mean, any, anything that has to do with the, re- the creation of the original iPhone, I find utterly fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, out of those three people that they had first up, uh, they had Scott Hers. I think he was pretty damn entertaining. I, you know, I'm an engineer, mm-hmm. and but the stereotypical engineer is like, you know, they're nerdy and they're kind of introverted. Yeah. But like everybody <laughs> up there was pretty entertaining. They had great stories. But this guy, Scott Hurst, was by far the most entertaining. And um, we're going to put a link to the YouTube video that was taken uh, in our show notes. And I encourage anybody who's even a tiny bit of a nerd or, you know, loves their iPhone or just is fascinated by this stuff just to watch and listen to these stories, because this is something that that has never come out before. Just these people talking about how this life changing, you know, gadget, how it came to be, uh, lots of interesting stories. Um, so the, I think one of the stories that did come out uh, before this this event was how Scott Forstall recruited people from different parts of Apple to work on this project. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'll go into this later, but, you know, Steve Jobs told, you know, Scott Forstall, like, hey, we're going to do this phone. You're allowed to, you know, recruit anybody from within Apple, but don't recruit anybody from outside because, you know, we don't know if they're going to leak or they're, if they're going to mm-hmm. come in and then leave right away. But uh, the the story, you know, there's a bunch of stories out there where Scott Forstall would come in to your office and like he'd close the door behind him and like say, "I, you know, you, you know, we, you do good work here at Apple. You're you're a rock star engineer, um, but I have something that you might be interested in, and mm-hmm. you, I can't tell you what it is. <laughs> um, I can tell you that you're gonna do the hardest work, the best work of your life." And you have to tell me right here, right now, if you want to work on it, you're not going to, you're going to put, it's going to be the hardest work you've ever done for the next two years. You're either in or you're out. And it's like <laughs> a lot of these people, and especially like um, a couple of the guys who were there on stage, were, they had no question in their mind, like, yes, I want to work on it. And, you know, that's crazy. It's just blind faith that, you know, whatever project that this guy, this, this you know, Scott had was worth working on. Right. Um, Another story, uh, this guy Hugo was saying that he would, you know, go to China pretty often because that's where they had the iPhones manufactured and they'd have to go back pretty often just to make sure everything was, you know, on schedule or what have you. And one of the stories that he shared was like how efficient the supply chain is in China. And this is the reason why iPhones and a lot of other phones, consumer electronics are made in China just because the supply chain is there and they've got these, you know, obviously they have a billion people there. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, a lot of people in the workforce and fact, you know, the, the manufacturing lines are right next to the supply where they get the screws and just all the components. And like, if you need something um, on the phone, it's there the next day. If they make a change, like, Oh, like, I don't know. There was an article a few, I think a year or two back where, the original iPhone, I don't even know if you know this, Nick, the original iPhone, the screen was plastic. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. And then like maybe like a feet, like six or four, like some un- like ridiculous, unreasonable amount of time before Steve Jobs was going to introduce the iPhone. He was like, you know, there's all these scratches on, on the screen. We need to make this glass. Mm-hmm. And people are like, how the heck are we going to make this glass? It's only like we've got like a month less than two months before we announced this. But <laughs> one of the advantages of the supply chain in China is that they can they can flip a switch and have glass, you know, screens ready on the, on the manufacturing lines like, right. like that. And they, that's what they did. So yep. glass ended up being on the original iPhone. Um, yep. And it's crazy because um, I was listening to, I wanted, I, I couldn't wait to hear Scott Forstall. I wanted him to come up, but I was like, you know, Hopefully this first part of the panel goes by quickly, but I found myself like, like, you know, these guys are mm-hmm. interesting. They've got some crazy stories. I want it to keep, you know, you know, I, I, I could sit here for, for hours just listening to their stories. And mm-hmm. uh, I know you were watching the live stream, Nick. What did you think about the first half of this uh, panel? I just the exact same thoughts that you had. You know, these guys were in the trenches. They were day in and day out, yeah, you know, man. sleeping in their offices or in you know hotel rooms or one of the one whose house was it one of the houses of one of them like they'd crash on the couch or something like they wouldn't be able to they wouldn't be able to drive home because they were working these crazy hours and you know what struck me what struck me in watching these these three engineers and guys involved in the project was is that even though you could tell or even from their descriptions that this was one of the most grueling experiences of their lives they had zero regrets they oh, absolutely yeah. look back that look look back on everything fo- very fondly and just it you could tell it was one of the best experiences of their lives to be involved with something so groundbreaking so game changing and just kind of again like you said their their stories and their experiences and hearing it firsthand was again as a, as a lover of of uh, all things apple it was very interesting yeah yeah so once once that portion ends, there's like a like a brief brief intermission where they showed like a, a, a short clip of Steve Jobs talking about in vague vague terms, like how he believed that how every person would have a their own like computer, and you know that eventually it happened today. You know that that's that's what we have now. We have everyone has a basically a computer in their pocket that's connected to the internet, which is pretty crazy once you think about it. Um, yep. So 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 once the intermission was over, they they. They come back and they inter- they introduce Scott Forstall, and it's, you know it's it's crazy because you know this is a guy that we watched on keynotes and like and and just seeing him like for me just, I saw him in like real life which is crazy you know I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sounding like a total fanboy <laughs> but it was just it was co- it was just crazy to see him no one has seen him for like five years and and here he is um, mm-hmm. the the interview kind of opened up kind of slow and I was like I was super not, I, yeah I was super annoyed because I came no, I- here. I, I'm pretty sure everyone was Jay. I was watching like, what is he? I mean, nobody care. I mean, no offense to Mr. Forstall if you're listening out there. Hopefully, sh- that'd he be abs- surprised. He absolutely is. I heard he was our number one fan. No, anyway, I'm just kidding. So it's not that we don't care about. Sure, Mr. I mean Scott Forstall, the person. It's just that it's been five years. We want to hear about. And not even it's funny because I'm sitting there and it was kind of in hindsight, very just like, uh, why would why would I assume that he would talk about the I'm get, I'm giving too much away with this, Jay. I'm not even going to finish my thought. Let's just say that we wanted to hear about 
things Apple related. He's over there talking about his Broadway stuff and this and yeah. that. And I'm just like, come on, get on with it. <laughs> so no, I was with you 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he opens up with his, you know, he started doing Broadway. He started bankrolling Broadway musicals. And he, he opens up saying that, like, something that he's always been into, his kids are into it. And, like, you know, he's in a position where he can produce Broadway plays. And he actually won, like, a Tony for for a play or a musical called Funhouse, I believe. And he talked about that. And then he talked about how he went to another hobby that he has is, is scuba diving and how he almost got eaten by a shark. And, you know, that's all, I mean, I mean, much respect to whatever, whatever he's doing now. And that was great, but no, really like we want to hear about Apple stuff. And Mm -hmm. once he, once he got into it, um, he had a lot of great stories. I mean, I seriously could have just sat there for hours. Just, just, just tell me more. Just tell me stories that no (laughs) one else has heard. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I, I picked out three different, uh, stories anecdotes that he told just because they're they're funny they're interesting nobody's ever heard them before again the 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 video is going to be in our show notes and i encourage anybody who's a nerd anybody who who is interested in the iphone and how it got created just to just to watch and just to listen to this guy tell these stories um first story uh that i want to talk about is the the origin of the tablet so we we talked we mentioned that the phone kind of came from this tablet uh, project that the whole touch screen the multi touch how that how that interaction started mm-hmm. as a tablet project and Scott Forstall shared the story of of the origin of that tablet project so turns out that Steve Jobs his his wife was friends with this woman and that woman's husband worked at Microsoft mm-hmm. and whenever they would get together, he would like rub it in. I mean, he knows he's Steve Jobs. He he's founded Apple and he would basically <laughs> rub it in Steve Jobs's face, how Microsoft was going to come out with this tablet and it was going to be the best. And they were going to, you know, they had this, this great idea. And if you know anything about Steve Jobs and his personality, he's very particular. He's a perfectionist. And just listening to this guy's stories, like he, could not stand this guy and like <laughs> after after you know however many times that you know this the couple these two couples hung out like he he had had enough and like <laughs> scott was like you know steve came in on a monday morning at their monday morning meeting and he had like you know effort this you know <laughs> s word that i'm tired of li- li- listening to this guy talk about tablets and how microsoft's gonna come out with a tablet we're going to show them how, how how to do this right. And mm-hmm. that is basically how the tablet got project got started, which eventually turned into the iPhone and eventually turned into the iPad. All because Steve Jobs was annoyed of this guy who worked at Microsoft. <laughs> Can you believe that? That's insane. I, and knowing Steve Jobs, absolutely. <laughs> He was annoyed at some guy and wanted to show him up, and I think uh, I think he did a pretty good job. <laughs> um, second story I want to share. Um, I sh- I, I'm gonna. Pu- I should probably put like timestamps on this so you can like jump to the uh, the, por- the part of the interview where he talks about this. Um, second mm-hmm. story I want to share was Steve Jobs. Whenever they would have lunch, Steve Jobs and Scott Forstall, Steve would always insist on paying for lunch at the cafeteria. <laughs> 
and it's it's crazy because uh, Scott Ford he's a, he's a pretty he's a great storyteller and I was like on the edge of my seat for all of this stuff but yep. um, he tells a story how they would eat you know they go down for lunch at the cafeteria and they had it where you know you have badges to badge into you know to get into the building but they also linked their their bank accounts and they had the cafeteria set up so whenever you would like you know you get food and you would just swipe your your ID card and that would automatically deduct from your paycheck you know whatever you ate for lunch during that pay period Mm -hmm. and famously Steve Steve Jobs salary was at one dollar per year you know obviously I mean for whatever tax reasons, obviously he got compensated in other ways in terms of like stock options and stuff like that. But his salary f- for one year was a dollar. And <laughs> Scott was like, you know, he would be embarrassed. Like, you know, you know, he paid, you know, he's like, Steve, you pay me enough that I can afford an $8 lunch. Right. It's like, you don't have to wait for me, um, you know, at the, at the register to pay for my lunch. And Steve was like, you know, it's fine. It's fine. I'm the CEO of this company. I make $1 a year. I don't know who who keeps paying for for lunch every time I badge. It was like he was scamming his own company over lunch, right? You know, stories like this, it's like he was kind of, Scott was trying to like, you know, Steve Steve was a funny guy. All we see is the guy on stage doing the keynotes. We hear stories of how, you know, he's a perfectionist and if things aren't right, he'll just like yell at people. But it was truly refreshing to hear a story like this where he would insist on paying for lunch and he yeah. doesn't know where the he money. He said, I don't, well, he, he goes, he goes, I don't know who keeps paying for it. I yeah. scan my card and I don't know who pays for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got, a, I, I feel like an accountant somewhere. I was like, Oh, Steve Jobs is buying another lunch. It's like, Oh, we'll just let it pass because he, he founded this company. He's a, he's a CEO. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I was I, I got a kick out of that yeah, one. That, was, that was a good story. And and the the last story I wanna wanna bring up and it was um it was towards the end and this was something that I don't think made it to the public at all because this is the first time I heard it. I can tell you when he was telling the story that the room was like dead silent everyone was on the edge of their seats it was pretty crazy so i don't recall the year this happened but scott was saying that you know steve jobs he saved my life and in my head i was kind of like okay you're a great storyteller and all and um you know you're 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 here for the first time in five years speaking about apple and you know he's he's this is he's on stage and he wants to whatever um yeah i i I thought it was gonna be another joke again honestly at first i was like oh okay another funny thing but then he he kind of kept with the serious tone it was and like you said i was i was watching like oh my god you know i was like kind of on the edge of my seat yeah it it got i wouldn't say it got awkward but it it got silent and if you know yeah it was very silent no one dared make noise or get up from their seats but um he told this story of how like his kids um, they came home from school. There, I guess there was a stomach bug going around. And if you, you know, anybody out there who has kids, you know, my my kids have gotten this. It's like a 24, 48 hour bug where they just like go through, you know, they they throw up and, you know, stuff's coming out both ends. You know, sorry for the graphic, you know, depiction. But, uh, you know, his kids had this thing and he ended up getting this thing. And 
this this little stomach bug and his kids got better after two days and um he was saying that he didn't get better after two days he would you know he'd start throwing up and he'd throw up every hour and then it got more frequent started throwing up every 30 minutes and then eventually as this thing got worse eventually every five minutes and he goes on and he says that um he couldn't figure out what was wrong he went to the hospital and the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with him and he said he ended up losing 50 pounds and he felt like he was going to die and he wanted to die because you know i can't even imagine like having to you know go to the bathroom every five minutes and just you know like heaving it's, it's you know it's the worst couldn't, feeling couldn't keep any couldn't keep any food yeah, down couldn't, at all couldn't keep any food down so he couldn't eat he, could, he couldn't nourish himself he couldn't sustain sustain himself and um there was they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him and you know steve jobs he you know obviously he was close in they worked closely together and he would check up on him and when things got really bad he was like Scott, I'm going to bring in my acupuncturist and she's going to make you feel better. And it was funny because like, you know, I'm kind of like this. I don't I don't know about you, Nick, but he he was saying like, you know, he's very, you know, you know, right brain or I'm sorry, left brained. And he's very like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if this is going to work. He's kind of skept, skeptical about it. And uh, well, he said he said, do he said, do I need to believe? Yeah. In it? He's like, do I need to believe in do this? I, yeah. In order for this to work. And then yep. the, the lady said. You, you can I, I don't know if, I forgot what exactly he said but it was to the effect of you know you can believe whatever you want but I'm gonna fix you yeah yeah yep and uh, that was crazy yeah and then uh it was funny like Scott was like to Steve he was like you know what if this doesn't work and then Steve was like mm-hmm. well I can have a wing named after you <laughs> basically if he, if he died he can have a wing of Stanford Hospital named after Scott if he if he if he didn't make it through but um Oh man! Uh, the acupuncturist came in, and she did her thing, stuck a few needles in, and the nausea went away. For you know, he didn't have to yep. throw up every five minutes. It was like every ten, and then every fifteen, and then every hour, and then he could finally eat and keep his food down. And then I forget how long until he got fully better, but you know, he got better, and it was crazy that. Um, this this never came to the public before until that night and it was you know just it it showed the relationship that scott and steve had uh it was you know scott's an amazing and engaging storyteller uh something that i didn't realize that i missed uh from him was i miss seeing him at keynotes he you know, he's a great presenter, obviously, but, you know, just seeing him that night, he was a great storyteller, very engaging. And obviously he was there in the trenches. He had, a, he has a ton of great stories. I don't know. I'm pretty sure he didn't tell everything, obviously, but I, I could have just sat there for hours. Just like, tell me more, tell me more what, what happened, you know, during the, you know, the creation of the iPhone. And yeah, it was, I, I didn't want, I didn't want to. End. Yeah. I, I didn't know, want it to end just either. Like, it was it was it was yeah, great. Just keep keep going, man. <laughs> Nobody's going anywhere. <laughs> and and another thing that I noticed, like when we saw him at keynotes, um, he was going off of scripts and you know he was demoing software, and we didn't really get to see any of his personality. 
but we definitely saw it that night. He's a very funny guy. Like, I didn't know if he was just like acting or just like he knew he was like on stage and just like, I'm going to tell stories and be funny. But after yeah. like a few minutes, like, this is his personality. Like, this, he's a funny guy. He like, he would tell a story and like have a funny comment. Story, funny comment. Yeah. And like, I, I, I got a kick out of that. And, um, uh, I, I the funniest thing, not the funniest, but the most. I'd say the the. How do I put this? No, it wasn't the most interesting thing. One of the most interesting things that I found from his little anecdotes, uh, and actually, I take it back. It was a question. Okay. It was one of the audience questions, and it was regarding skeuomorphism. Skeuomorphism. Yeah. Is yeah. That yeah, yeah. Yeah. And for those of you that aren't too, too familiar with that, this was kind of a hot topic, hot button topic about three years ago or so, or right around the time that iOS 7 came out. And it's basically, it's the term for, you know, objects. And in, and in this case, objects represented by software or phone interfaces that mimic their real life counterparts. Right. Okay. So, you know, um, God, I can't even remember the specific examples. It's been so long nowadays. It's um, so like in um, go ahead. in iBooks on 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 an iPad, you can read like you know similar to the Kindle yeah. app. You can read you know books in digital form, and yeah. they would have like it would look like pages. So you, when you want to flip to the next page, yes. you would like take your finger and and swipe from right to left, and an actual image yeah. of a page flipping over would would yep. would occur. And that that's an example of skeuomorphism. Yeah. Or- or, or you know, another one is, um, you know, it's in the in the iBooks app. You had a, a bookshelf right. where you'd put all your books, right. right? Because it's it's a bookshelf and it holds your books, and it looked like a wooden bookshelf. So this was when when Forstall left and Johnny Ive took over as the head of overall design and specifically software design, which he was not involved in prior right. to that. He just did the hardware design. He famously had a had a large played a large role, according to everyone, in iOS 7 leaving that behind and really adopting a very, quote-unquote, modern, flat, um, non-skeuomorphic interface. And Scott was asked about this, and I forget how the actual question was asked or how how the um, moderator posed it to him, but it was funny to hear... uh, you know, Forstall kind of react to it and say, I never even knew what skeuomorphism meant. And his whole thing was he he stood by it. He stood by their original desi- design decisions because, and, and it was a very good point, which was this, the iPhone and that whole interface and multi-touch and all that had never been done before. Right. And their whole kind of guiding principle when designing the soft the the software and the and the interface for the iPhone was make it familiar, make it easy for people to pick up. And he and he used an example of, you know, a hundred something year old lady being able to read books with glaucoma, whereas before, you know, she couldn't read printed pages, but since the screen was so bright it went through and she could read it. And then he brought up a, you know, what, like two year old six month old, two year old kid that just would could pick it up and navigate through it. And he said that that was in large part due to the software and the interface and the icons and everything that they had designed. So I like how he how he stood by it, and I like how he just said that's that's what we were that's what we were aiming to do. And I wouldn't say he sidestepped the question, but you know he he made a case by using these specific examples about you know why why they did what they did and how they did it, and and it and it came off it came off good in my opinion. It made a lot of sense. Yeah, I think. Um 
I wouldn't say it was a political politically correct answer, but it was it was as good of an answer as you could get give given that, you know, he was famously fired and now we're, you know, people railed against that type of design, but you know, it was a great answer. It's like no one had ever used this type of interface before. We had to make it obvious for everybody. And yeah, and that's what they did. Yeah. And I and I speaking of that another quick tidbit, one of the things that that I been wondering about for a while now was okay you know do you still use a mac do you still use an iphone and it was clever how the presenter or the guy asking the questions the moderator whatever you want to call him he asked he asked him he said he said assuming you still use an iphone do you ever have any um software elements or anything on the phone that you ever look at now and question or say i could have done it better yada 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 and i forget how he answer the question exactly but he basically did not correct him saying when you use an iphone so he basically admitted yeah i still i you know i I still use an iphone and it and it kind of in hindsight it made a lot of sense it's like okay based on everything that we now know in terms of the development and how he created everything of course he of course still use an iphone i mean it's it's his baby no matter what No matter what it is, and another interesting thing very quickly is is in that video or the article, they're, they're just super blurred for me now. I'm telling you, this haze is getting <laughs> getting me a little hazy. But one of the gentlemen talking about the creation of the, of the original iPhone, he mentions the fact that, and I believe it was in the article, he mentions the fact that they put together a demo for Steve Jobs in the early days to kind of, while they were kind of still pitching the whole software interface and and you know running OS 10 on a stripped down mobile version and he mentions this li- little like loop or this demo right about the software elements and he said he goes if you were to see it today it would it would undoubtedly look like an iPhone it would you would look at it and yeah. go that's an iPhone and that really just it, it just supports that assumption or that thought of course forestall would still be using an iphone it's 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 still an iphone you know it's 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 a lot bigger um it's got a little it's got a non-skeuomorphic uh interface of course but it's still it's still an iphone like you said jay it's still his baby so it was just kind of cool to hear that confirmation that he does in fact still still use it yeah and kind of to wrap up um it's been said in the years that's that scott forestall has ever since he left that he was a divisive uh, figure within Apple. He was hard to work with. I mean, obviously, that he's. It's been said that he clashed with different, with other executives, and there are stories that have come out where you know people who have worked under him said that they loved working for him, and they don't you know they don't understand where these other people are coming from. And the thing that stood out to me was. Um, at the very end, he, you know, before before the interview closed up, he stopped and he wanted to acknowledge all present and former Apple employees that he worked with. And there was a lot of Apple employees there uh, at that event. It was crazy because before he went on, he was saying hi and like, you know, to different people in the audience, which is crazy. Oh. There was a lot of people from Apple there that night. Mm-hmm. And he stopped and he acknowledged the different people, not not in name, but he's just like wanted to give them a round of applause. Everybody that he worked with yeah. prior to him leaving. And that kind of supports the the thought that, you know, 
he was a good leader. He was a good manager to work. Uh, he was a good manager to work for. And um, I, I caught that because a lot of people, you know, they give him a lot of flack because he was, you know, they say he was a jerk or he was, he could have been hard. He could be hard on people, but a lot of people, you know, they, they applauded loudly when he wanted to give an acknowledgement to, to different people in the room. And, um, you know, that kind of stood out to me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, overall, amazing event, fascinating, like truly fascinating event. And I'm, I'm so glad that I was able to, to go and see it in person. Yeah, no, it just, I was very jealous, Jay, that you got to make it there. It was cool to be able to watch it live. Let me just say that. So that that definitely made me feel a lot better um, for not being able to make it, but just uh, sounds like an amazing experience. And I have to ask you, Jay, uh, to to also kind of wrap up, um, do, how do you look at Forstall no longer working for Apple? Do you look back and go, man, Cook was an idiot. He should have kept him on. He should, you know, he should still be there today. Or do you even think that maybe in the future he would find his way back to Apple? Do you want to see him back? Is it just kind of fun to just see him now talking about things and kind of living his life? What are your, what are your thoughts on him and, and, and Apple in terms of, you know, the past, how things went down or even for the future? That is a great question. Um, so, Obviously, Apple is doing well right now. Tim Cook, he's a smart guy. He's an operations guy, and he was perfect. He was the perfect guy to take over once Steve Jobs passed. And I don't hate on Tim Cook at all, but seeing Scott Forstall, seeing his charisma, and even before he left, a lot of people were making comparisons to him and Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. and how you know, aside from Tim Cook, I think Scott Forstall would have been the perfect guy to take over as CEO. Um, Do I miss him? Yeah, dude. I think I I, I miss seeing that guy. I think um, I would like to see him back at at Apple. I don't know how that would happen or when or what circumstances that what what would have to take place for that to happen. Yeah. It's it's weird. I mean, because obviously I I love I like I love Apple now. it's hard to say, you know, yeah. where Apple would be, but I think I would like to see Scott Forstall back at Apple one day. It, it it would make for the greatest story. Like you know, Steve Jobs founded the company, famously got fired, got came he came back, and you know now it's Apple is where it is today. It'd be a crazy and you know amazing parallel if. For somehow Scott Forstall were to come back, you know, he got fired and, you know, who knows what happens. And the only yeah. guy that can save Apple is Scott Forstall. Um, yeah. <laughs> that would be the greatest story, right. you know? That'd like, be crazy. You know, Steve Jobs coming back, that's the greatest story. And, and Apple where it is right now, that's a great story. But, you know, that could, this could be an even greater story, but who knows? But uh, yeah. yeah, I would like I would like to see him back one day. I, I think on the surface... I agree with you 100%. It was great seeing him on stage and just watching him and listening to him and and just all those kind of pleasant memories of all the keynotes kind of came back to me. And I remembered why I liked him as as an Apple executive. And he was always, next to to Jobs, my favorite 
presenter, you know, my favorite executive that would go up and and do the bits on on stage, you know. And I think Federighi is kind of different personalities, different style, but in terms of just being, yeah, like to me, he kind of fills that gap now. um, Sure. That that you know that forestall kind of uh, left behind, but it it's it's kind of the nostalgia factor, or I guess the kind of the kind of uh, you know romanticized kind of uh, pleasant memory of that era of ten years back or so. Wants that that part of me wants me wants him to be a part of Apple, or or would think it would be cool like a scenario that you just yeah. described and him coming back, finding his way back to the company that he had such a big role in and Steve jobs and all that kind of, again, that kind of that, all those kind of romantic kind of notions of like, Oh, you know, the apple of old, oh, you know, yeah. but the realist in me really looks back and, you know, they made those announcements when he did get fired and they said, you know, for the sake of greater collaboration, sure, if you remember, yeah, yeah. right? And and they that. and they cited that as as a reason. And a lot of the articles at the time explained the fact that, you know, it it, it kind of that Apple of the Steve Jobs era was very much there was there were little Clicks. I'm gonna, yeah, I, I'm not gonna even try to pronounce the word because I've just I've had too much haze. But it's uh, <laughs> it's like fief, fiefdoms or fiefdoms yeah, yeah, of yeah. of you know little little kind of like you said clicks of of people that would band around a certain person or a certain kind of manager or executive, and in this case, you know, Forstall, and it was very it was very divisive, and it didn't it didn't work for the direction that Cook was trying to take Apple in. And at first, yeah. yeah, And at first, I was skeptical at at the stories that came out from around that time, and I just thought, oh, they're just making excuses. But then you saw what happened after, right? Then you saw, you know, uh, you know, Johnny Ive coming in and doing both design for software and hardware, and kind of unifying that for for a for a general kind of unified vision and the different other restructuring that they did. And you kind of took a step back and said, okay, well. Cook meant it. And, you know, he basically at the time, if, you know, if we're to believe that's how things happen, more or less, he drew a line in the sand and he basically said, yeah, you know, you're either going to, you're either going to do things my way now, or if you do things the old way, like it was under, under, under jobs, God rest his soul, then there's not a place for you here anymore. Yeah. And that's what happened, and you have yeah. to respect that, and you have to look at the Apple since then, and see how far they've come, and how much that you know, how much they've risen, you know, in the, in, in the world, and as a, not just as a technology company, but just the company in general. And I, I think they're doing great without them, quite frankly. Oh, yeah. yeah, and they don't. They're fine. Yeah, they're fine. They're fine. <laughs> I'm not going to say they don't need them or anything like that. I mean, that sounds like oh, they don't need them. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying all that, yeah, right. but you know, I think Cook made the right decision. And and they're good. And if there was something in the future, an opportunity or a way they could utilize him and, and the stars aligned and he wanted to go back and all that and he was kind of a like a like a public kind of kind of a face, a big face for the company and he did the keynotes again or even became CEO again and kept things going again. I mean I, I agree. That would be totally awesome. I, I, I would just I'd be first to go you know he's back i mean it's kind of like Steve, like you said like yeah. when jobs went back it's very yeah. similar in that regard so i guess we'll have to wait and see we'll have to wait and see jay yeah yeah all right yeah. so wrapping that up um how are you with this haze 
Oh, I am feeling very, very hazy. I am thoroughly <laughs> enjoying this. I do want to kind of report back um, a couple. Of, well, one thing I did leave out, and I guess this is going to kind of factor in to my final assessment. This is an 8.2 double IPA. Does not taste like 8% whatsoever. No. The alcohol is amongst the best hidden alcohol level or presence in any double a that i've ever double uh, a double ipa that i've ever tasted and just just lends to the impressiveness and i i have to say that the freshness factor is something that i've been able to really taste uh, you know the 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 uh the, i not to use the wording on the can but the the saturation of the hops is something that i'm getting a lot more than say a four or a five week old can like i've had in the past okay. not to take take anything away from that age of, of cans because they've still been absolutely tremendous but i think that extra level of freshness the extra that extra level of saturation again not to use that term again have really lend lended themselves to contributing towards the the overall rating for this beer and i am going to just Overall, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a five, Jay. Wow! And this is the first, I believe, the first for it the show. The first. Yeah, I think it's the first for the show. I've definitely rated beers fives in the past. Absolutely, check my own tapped. I'm not, uh, you know, not never done that, but definitely for the show, this is it. Definitely for style, I think for style for a double IPA, hands down, one of the best I've ever had. Uh, definitely in the top five, without a, without a shadow of a doubt. And it's kind of like, I don't know, this and Julius to me in terms of treehouse beers, they're neck and neck. And Mm -hmm. I can tell you that, you know, lately I've been going back and forth in terms of which I prefer more, you know, which one I prefer more out of the two. And just, you know, and and let me just say this too, treehouse has a lot of variations. You know, a lot of the curiosity series, they fluctuate between IPAs and double IPAs. They have other double IPAs such as double ganger and doppelganger and things of that sort and and haze is just kind of a standard core beer lineup but you know in terms of just this hitting all the all the little kind of checking all the check marks that i look for in a double ipa the fruitiness the peach presence i love peach by the way it's like my number one kind of uh (laughs) fruit i'd say pound for pound but just that just those characteristics that i look for in a double ipa those flavors and especially in a new england style ipa this just ticks all the boxes and especially having it as fresh as we're having it really just put it over the top for me so giving it a five nice nice um i'm gonna nitpick a little bit Mm. um at the beginning of the show i would have given this a five Mm. and Whatever, call me out. I'm a jerk. Whatever, but I'm gonna nitpick because, as as the show went on, as as the, my beer got a little bit warmer, and it's kind of unfair to you know knock this down because it got warm and I didn't like the taste at the end. I'm gonna give this a four seven five. Um, if I'd rated this at the beginning, you know, five all the way. Um, I know some of the other beers, you know, I drank throughout the show and it didn't change my perception or my rating. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't taste as good to me as, as it got warmer. So, yeah. um, I know some beers they're, they, they're okay, or they maybe even get better a little bit warmer, but this one was yeah. like, Oh, I, when I took that last sip, I was like, Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. It wasn't the same as, uh, as the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. I'm nitpicking. I don't want to give it a five because of that. So four, seven, five, if you want to round up to maybe like 4.9, 4.9, mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. 
Oh, still a great way, beer. I would, I would drink this again. Um, by the way, Jay, you said call you a jerk. I'm going to call you a huge jerk. The biggest <laughs> jerk of all jerks in the history of... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, man, that's... it's Yeah, 475. I think I may have even rated a 475 one time on Untapped. I don't remember, quite frankly. Um but yeah, no, totally. And I and I see what you're I see what you're saying on the finish when it warms. It is a lot more assertive. It's not as quite as crisp and as all right. Not probably not, not crisp, as, but it's not, not it's not smooth. as smooth. It's not yeah, as smooth exactly. exactly. It's not as smooth on the finish. But to me, it's not enough to bring it down from that pedestal. I'm sticking to the five. That's and fair. it's uh totally you fair. know it's man i it's um very impressive very impressive double ipa so oh yeah yeah can't you can't i mean yeah still a great beer no matter how you look at it right on jay well in the meantime where can folks send you inside information regarding project purple <laughs> man that was a, that was a great one <laughs> you can find me on twitter at jay torres you can also find me on Untapped at J Torres as well, and I'm on Instagram at Bay Area Beer Life is my handle on Instagram. And if you want to send me some purple cans, you can find me on Untapped at Nick Pro. You can find our show accounts on Instagram and tw- and Twitter at IBU Podcast. Please continue to subscribe. Um, leave us reviews, leave us comments, tweet at us, send us messages, send us DMs, give us show beer suggestions, topics, things you want to hear, ways that we can improve. We're all ears and as always, just having a great time drinking some great beers and talking tech with all of you out there. Yeah, man, we're having a great, great time. And until next week, Nick, cheers. Cheers. You are now tuned in to episode 24 of the Internet Beer Users Podcast. Today, I am joined by my co-host. <laughs> I said that wrong. <laughs> I was just going to say, today, I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Torres. And Jay Torres. And, what? and me. And, 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 this, and this guy. All right. Okay. All right. Let's do that again. Whew. All right. Shouldn't have had that double IPA earlier. Oh. All right. Okay. You are now tuned in to episode 24 of the Internet Beer Users Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Pro, joined today by none other... Oh, my God. <laughs> I haven't screwed up like this on an intro on how many shows, man. I don't think anybody has. <laughs>